I got to know Kevin a couple of months ago, and so we started, you know, just kind of going out to eat, getting to know one another, and so I feel kind of halfway to blame for his illness because a couple of weeks ago I sent him a text and I was like, hey, I know when pastors get sick, it's always Saturday night. I mean, that's just, you know, we're great on Monday, we're great on Tuesday, it's Saturday night. I was like, I don't know if you have anyone or not, and if you do that's fine, I don't care, but if you happen to get sick... And if you need someone, even last minute, just send me a text. So yesterday I get this text in the afternoon. He's like, hey, I'm really sick and blah, 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 blah. And I thought, right, Kevin, this is a joke. You're wanting me to scurry over and start, you know, trying to come up with something. A couple hours later, he's going to be like, just kidding, you know. But he was for real. And uh, so he said, I'll make the call at 6.30 Sunday morning. And I'm like, why don't we make the call like at 9 p.m.? you know, on Saturday night. So this morning at 6.30, you know, he's like, I'm even worse. And I'm like, he sounds like a typical male, doesn't he? I mean, you know this, ladies, right? You know, he's a little sick and it's near death is, you know, is kind of where he's leaning towards. And, and I thought, you big baby, grow up. I wanted to say that, but I did not. I was nice back to Pastor Kevin. Um, but how many of you ladies are married to a man that if he gets a cold, he's near death? And he's, yeah, calling the church for meals and, you know... <laughs> It could, it could go at any time. Uh, uh, Sherry knows this. My wife knows this because um, I'll do this when I get a cold. And I'll be like, oh, and she'll be like, how, how are you feeling? I'm like, oh, I could die at any moment. Um, which, which is still a true statement because you could die at any moment. And I'm like, don't laugh. Don't walk away from me because if I did die right now, you would feel guilty for forever. So it's my mercy gift. But I want to show you a picture I think they have of my family. I think. I think. Oh, there we are. Um, so that's Josiah and Caleb, and uh, you'll see them kind of running around here and stuff. And so Josiah is in fifth grade, uh, Caleb is in first. Uh, real quick about them before we get into scripture so that you kind of know who they are. Um, Josiah is the teacher's dream uh, student. He's always doing the right thing. He's the doer. He's the, hey, we have a rule. He's the rule follower. Caleb is the, what do you mean we have rules? Why do we have rules? The rules should be that we have no rules. And so Caleb's that guy. He balances it out. Um, but to let you know, just kind of a cool story behind that, it was because of Josiah in the third grade and the way he acted around other kids and that sort of thing that his teacher got interested in our church and started coming, and it was because of him. And uh, so I share that story with people that you just never know. Now, Caleb was the one that in preschool... His preschool teacher, when we had the nine-week thing, you know, where you're bracing yourself as a parent that please only say good things, but you know your child, and you know, well, it may not all, it may not all lean that way. And she goes, oh, he's so social. And we're like, yep. And, you know, and she goes, but in my 20-something years of doing preschool, he is the only child who is so competitive that not only does he want to win, as a four-year-old, he would stack the teams so that his team could win at recess. That's Caleb, okay? So he's super competitive, and, and that's who he is. But I'm grateful this morning to share with you out of the Word. Uh, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24, so if you want to turn there, we're going to be in Luke chapter 24 and start in verse 13. Uh, and so we're grateful to live around here r- real quick as to what we're doing now. We did plant several churches in Cleveland, Ohio. Started there in the heart of downtown Cleveland, uh, in Hilarity's Comedy Club. That was where our first church was begun. Uh, that's where Drew Carey and Steve Harvey got their start. Um, I'm not famous, but 
One day, I'm sure someone will say, oh, that's where Alex Ennis got his start to, you know, right there next to those guys. It's not happening, but we can dream, right? And, uh, and so that's where we were, and we saw God move. And so when we first started our uh, church there, it was me, Sherry, and the dog. And that was it. That's what we had. Um, we still have that dog. And if you know of a church planner, we will rent that dog to them. That dog knows how to plant a church. Uh, and we planted several churches and, and stuff in the Cleveland area. And then for five years, I was the uh, chaplain to the 2018 World Series champions, Cleveland Indians. It's a prophecy, if you're wondering. Um, <clears throat> I don't know it'll work, but, but I tried. Uh, but I enjoyed being there. And then God related really on our hearts that um, the creatives uh, were losing them. We're not uh, reaching them through our churches. And so God related really on our hearts to start a new ministry where we reach out <clears throat> to entrepreneurs, uh, musical artists, uh, politicians. Yes, many of them need Jesus. Um, so that was where our heart leapt to, and that's the reason why we've kind of relocated to here. All of my family is around here, uh, and so this is uh, kind of home uh, in my early, early years. Um, and then my wife uh, is from Cleveland, and her parents actually happen to be in town this weekend, so they're sitting right over here. And then my aunt, who lives around here, uh, is able to be here this morning. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word, Luke chapter 24. Now, this is resurrection morning, okay? It says, that same day, and by the way, I don't know if they have the same translation as I do, so just follow along as best we can, all right? That same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all these things that have happened here the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. Do you like it when Jesus plays dumb? Okay. What things? The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing. They had seen angels who had told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to sea, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and, and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as if he were going on, but they begged him, stay the night with us since it is getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were open and they recognized him. And at that moment, he disappeared. 
They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? Within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord really has risen. He appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus had appeared to them as they were walking along the road, how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked them. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I am not a ghost, because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Then he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he ate it as they watched. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, may your word be glorified this morning. May you be lifted up. Lord, may we have a great time studying your word, but may we also be challenged and leave differently than the way that we came. Pray all this in your name. Amen. So let me set the stage for what's going on here. This is resurrection morning. Now, when we gather together on Sunday mornings, we're actually celebrating the resurrection. You ever wondered, why do we worship on Sunday? It's a constant um, and continual reminder that Jesus is out of the grave. And so for them, they're not used to anything like that. There is no holiday at this point. And so these people are all trying to figure out what just happened. The man that they had followed, the man that they loved, the man that they called the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is now suddenly taken from them. He is placed on a cross. They know that he is killed. And now then, they're all huddled up. Now, I want you to understand what they were feeling in the moment. Because sometimes we read these verses and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, the resurrection. But understand what was happening at that moment. When they woke up the next day after the crucifixion, do you realize what that means? If you are a follower of someone who was just killed for their beliefs, guess who's next? You are. Do you understand now why they had incredible amounts of fear? If the person that you've said is the Messiah and he's killed... Guess what they're going to do next? Well, we want to get rid of everyone who thinks that way. And that's where they're going to start. So they all huddle up together, wondering, what do we do? The disbelief. Disbelief. So this begins this moment. Now, we know the name of one of the people in this story. We don't know the other. Have you come to Scripture before and like, how come sometimes we know a name? Other times we don't know a name. 
Then if you read further in Scripture, they finally tell you the name. You're like, well, why over here did it say a certain person? And then over here it finally names the person. What's going on? Well, you have to understand in that day and time, if Christians are being tracked down to either be imprisoned or, out, or the outcast or maybe even be killed, you're not going to write in a book, hey, it was my friend Cleopas. <laughs> go arrest him. Go kill him. You're not going to do that when you're making the writing, are you? This is why when you go over to the book of John, John will a lot of times tell you names. Why is that? John outlived them all, okay? So we get to this point. You notice Cleopas is named. The other person is not, and it is likely because... That person was still alive, and they knew, you don't need to put that name in print. This means Cleopas is already dead or maybe already in prison. And so when we go into this story, you need to understand the reason why that some of these things are not being written about is because they know they can be imprisoned, they can be killed, they can be beaten. All of the above can happen to them. And so there's great fear among the disciples, there's great fear among those who said, wow, I think Jesus is the Messiah. Now, and all of a sudden, whoa, wait, he's been crucified. I don't know about this stuff. Let's look at a few things here this morning. Number one is this. Women are the first to discover the resurrection. Now, let me explain to you why that is significant, okay? In that day and time, if you went to a Roman court, and if a lady says, yes, I witnessed this particular incident. Do you know what they would do in a Roman court? Sorry, women's testimonies are not valid here. What is God up to? Why would he do that if people already know it's not going to be believable to the masses? He's doing the very thing to draw skeptics in to say, if I was trying to write something and get one over on you, I don't start with them. Now, women, understand, I'm just reporting the news here, okay? I did not make that law, nor would I make that law that your testimony was not valid. But that's the way that it was. They had no property rights. There was nothing. You were at the mercy of whatever government was in control or no government in control. You were at that mercy of that. And so for Jesus to start with the ladies, this is why a bunch of them are in the upper room going, I don't know. We can't trot out there. Hey, we know he's risen. How do you know he's risen? These women saw an angel. That's not going to work in that day and time. But what does God do? He shoves it right in the face (laughs) and says, I want people to know me and I'm going to write it in such a way that they would go, wow, if you're writing a false story, You don't begin with that. That's not who you begin with. Second thing here is is this. Jesus never asks a question for the benefit of himself. Did you love what Jesus did there? They're like, oh, have you not heard? Well, for Jesus to say that, they were amazed because what is that whole weekend about? It's Passover weekend. What happens? All the Jews come into town. We know this because just a few days earlier, what happens? Jesus rides in on the little donkey, right? He rides in on a little colt coming into town. They're all around. And they're like, how could you not know about what has happened? There are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people shoved into the city. Now then they're beginning to make their trek home. 
So even as they're leaving out, there are people everywhere. And Jesus goes, why are you sad? What's going on? And they're like, are you the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know about what happened? See, even for those that didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah, they know about the crucifixion. They know about what's happened. They have, for some of them, witnessed it with their own eyes. And Jesus comes along and goes, I don't get it. What's the problem? They're like, are you serious? <laughs> Where have you been? And he begins to explain to him. See, if you didn't realize it, the first official half marathon was run on this morning. It was seven miles to Emmaus, seven miles back. Any marathoners out there? Half marathoners? People like myself that pray for the marathoners, right? Yeah. See, they always look in pain, and I'm like allergic to pain, you know? And I mean, don't they? They always, and I'm like, man, they're not running with joy. I mean, if they were smiling all the time, I'd be like, that's something I want to join. But they always look like they're in pain, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. I have enough. But all joking aside, they walk down for seven miles with Jesus. When they get there, it's dinner time, okay? And they're looking at him saying, no, don't go further. Stay the night with us. What does that mean? It's getting close to that time. When they realize it's him, what do they do? Well, if you know anything about Jerusalem, Jerusalem sits up. Jesus didn't make it easy on them, did he? They've got to run back to the group uphill and tell their story. You know, I think if it were me, I'd be like, we can go in the morning. <laughs> we're going to get a good meal. <laughs> we're going to get a good night's sleep. We'll go. But what do they do? Well, they've just seen the risen Savior, or at least who they think that it now is. And what are you going to do if you saw the risen Savior face to face? You're going to run, go tell everybody. These people have now tracked seven miles down. They're going to run seven miles back. I don't know that they were in shape to run a half marathon, but you don't have to be if you see a dead body come back to life. You can run like nobody's business. And that's what they do. And they burst into that room to tell what's happening. And then at that point, see, they don't know about Peter having seen the Lord. They don't know anything about that. And that was when the group says, oh, yeah, guess what? He's also appeared to Peter. It's beginning to kind of come together for them. Let's look at the next one. And it's one that I love. Jesus loves doubters and skeptics. Jesus loves doubters and skeptics. What does he say to that group? Hey guys, look at my hands. Look at my feet. It's really me. I have a body. And if you don't believe me, and I think it's one of the funniest lines Jesus ever uttered, have you got anything to eat? I love it. They're in the middle of thinking it's a ghost. They're terrified. And he's like, you got something to eat? I'm kind of hungry. Don't you know they were like, yeah, hey, get him. No, you get him some. I'm not getting you. You go get it. And they bring him some fish, and he sits there and eats. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't like hoverers. Do you know what hoverers are? They're the people you're in the middle of doing something, and they're watching over you. I don't like that. 
It's one of my pet peeves. And if I'm working on something, my wife knows that if someone wants to get on my nerves, just stand over me while I'm doing it, and I will give you the slow turn. Do you know the slow turn? The slow turn is like this. And it's a polite way of saying, seriously? But if you continue to stand there, and they're like, hey, how are you? You know, don't get it. You ever have that friend that just doesn't get it? Don't point to anyone, please, in, in here. And you finally do the quick turn, right? Because that lets them know, now I'm annoyed. Now imagine this. There's not only the disciples there. There's all these other people, probably 100, 150, maybe 200 people. Or, so it's like an audience like this. Jesus is eating. How quiet do you think it is? Now, I don't know if they had pins that could drop on a floor that made any difference because it was probably dirt floors, but, you know, right? So quiet, you could hear a pin drop. And he starts to eat fish. Why? He doesn't need it. Who needs it? People in that room. See, if you read about Jesus, he never gets angry at the skeptic. Ever. Who does he become angry at? He becomes angry at the religious zealots who make it hard for the skeptic to get close. Let me prove it to you. The most famous verse out of the Bible, John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world. What was it born out of? A skeptic named Nicodemus coming to Jesus. How do we know he was a skeptic? John 3 records it and it says this. And Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. What's that all about? He doesn't want anybody knowing. See, Scripture doesn't add stuff because it doesn't have anything else to talk about. <laughs> when it gives you a specific instance, it's trying to highlight something. And what is Jesus doing? He makes time for Nicodemus, who challenges Jesus, like, man, you don't teach like anybody else. What is this stuff? And Jesus starts with the whole, a man must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, man, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it, but what do we find out when we get to John 19 when Jesus needs to be taken off the cross? There's two men who are known in John 19 as secret disciples. Nicodemus shows up with Joseph of Arimathea. It's Joseph's tomb that they used to put the body in, but it says, and Nicodemus was with him. You know, what's interesting to me. Jesus never called out Nicodemus in public. He never said, hey, guys, this is the way the truth is. And by the way, I was just sharing with Nicodemus at night about this. He could have outed him, and he never, ever, ever did. He could have said, hey, the Joseph of Arimathea guy, he's like one of the wealthiest guys, if not the wealthiest guy in all Jerusalem. I'm going to be borrowing his tomb. And oh, in case you didn't know, he's a secret disciple of mine. He never outed them. Man, what grace and mercy. But when you read Jesus, who does he pull in? It's always the skeptic. It's always the doubter. What does he do to the people in the room? Does he give them the speech? Parents, you know the speech. How many times have I told you? But what does he do here? He says, guys, gals, how many times have I shared these scriptures with you? Let's go over it again. And he starts with Moses, and he starts with the law, and he goes back over it. What does he do with the two on the way to Emmaus? He doesn't read them the right act. He just goes, man, guys, how many more times do I have to say this? But he does it anyway. 
Now think about this. Wouldn't you like to have a seven-mile talking to from Jesus? Whoa. That would be an amazing, amazing journey. And that's why at the end they were like, oh, it was him. It was him. Let's look at some application real quick. Number one, Jesus will keep walking by unless you stop him. Did you notice what happened in that story on the road to Emmaus? They're about to go to their home. It says Jesus is about to walk on, but they begged him to stay. Not, hey, man, why don't you stay? No, I got to be somewhere. All right. No, really, we want you. No, really, no, really, no, really. And he finally does, and he goes into their home, and he begins to teach even more, and then he breaks bread with them. He sits down with them, and he begins to do all the things that Jesus does. Number two is, is this, Jesus loves eating with people. He was the original tailgater. How many teachings of Jesus are around a table? Tons. How many times do we see miracles that are with what? Food. Man, if you love food, Jesus is your guy. I mean, he's, he's your go-to. You need to be asking him, Jesus, do you have any recipes you can kind of upload for me? I mean, you know. And here's what Jesus does, and he does it so many times. What, what does he do with Zacchaeus? If you grew up around church in Sunday school, you know the little song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. You know that song. If you're young, you're like, what just happened? I'm sorry, but that's, that's what we grew up doing. Flannel graph, man, we love those things, right? Those were great days. You missed it if you missed flannel graph. But what happened? Jesus does something that I would not dare do this morning. 99% of you in the room, I have no clues to who you are. But Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus and Zacchaeus, I'm going to go to your home today. Now, if I walked up to you and did that, you'd be like, no, you're not. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, Pastor, we're busy. Uh, we've got a six-hour prayer meeting um, that you're not invited to. Uh, you're going to make up real spiritual excuses, right? You know? But at the end of the day, what does Jesus do? He always is around a meal with people, and he's usually bringing in the skeptics because what did the religious rulers look at his disciples and say, why, do, why does your master eat with such scum? Whoa. What's happening? Jesus knows the power of bringing people around the table. It's the reason why groups are so effective, like what you heard this morning with those people. It is effective because it breaks down walls. There's just something about it with sharing a meal with someone else that it changes the friendship. Why is that? I don't know, but Jesus does. And he employed that with every chance he got. The five loaves and two fishes, what's that about? Food. He brings the skeptics in and says, hey, ask me any question you want to ask me. Talk with me about whatever you want to talk about. I will pull you in. I will not reject you because I want you to know there is forgiveness of sins through me. Next thing is this, number three. Jesus loves forgiving. Did you notice it in verse 47, the, the, the takeaway of what he said? He goes, hey, guys, when you go out and you're my witnesses, here's what you need to remember. There is forgiveness of sins for those who repent. 
Now let me go back to something here that I think is fun and also important. When you read that passage, I think there's only one translation that I've ever found that actually gets the part right where Jesus eats the fish. How many of you all enjoy a good Mexican restaurant? Man, I love a good Mexican restaurant, but I have one demand for a Mexican restaurant. When I walk in, there better be free, you know what it is? Chips and salsa. See, you're with me. You have the same demand. We don't go to McDonald's and expect free stuff. But we walk into a Mexican restaurant, it's like, where's the chips and salsa? Where's the chips? You know, we, we got to have chips and salsa. And I don't want it straight out of the bag. You better warm it for me. You know, okay, right? Okay, see, we have standards. But it's free. It's part of the thing. In that day and time, what always came with fish is honey. And actually, if you go back and look at the Greek, it says melissios. If your name is Melissa, it means from the bee, right? You're the honey, right? I know. See, if you're Melissa, you're like, yes, I knew I was important. Um, <laughs> but that's the word, and it means that Jesus ate fish and honey. Well, you know what I found out a few years ago? I really started enjoying fish and honey. I didn't know about this verse. And when I read this verse and I saw it in the Greek, I was like, I'm becoming more like Jesus. I'm eating the fish and honey now. You know? See, you're always looking for anything, right? It's like, okay, am I growing at all in my spiritual walk? Oh, yes, I tried fish with honey today, and that's what Jesus said. So clearly I'm growing in favor with Jesus, right? But the point is, is this. What is it about the way that he ate that they went, only Jesus eats like that. Did you notice what happened? The people in Emmaus, when did they recognize him? When he broke bread, gave thanks. There was something in the way he did it, the way he said it, the way he broke bread. I don't know what it was. But when he came in there to say, do you have anything to eat? It wasn't, well, I'm kind of hungry. Here's what he knew. They know the way that I eat. And that hushed audience watched him when he dipped it in that honey and when it came to his lips and however Jesus chewed. I don't know if he chewed loudly. I guess there was a holy chewing that he had some way. I don't know. But there was something about him that besides the nail prints, besides all of that, that they went, that's him. Why? Because Jesus always brought him in close. He always brought him to the table. And they were like, that's him. The fish and honey guy. <laughs> the way he just talked to us around the table. That's him. I know it's him. I want to close with this. I always close with a GPS, which for me means good practical stuff. When you find Jesus, you're left breathless. See, go back into that story. How many people in that room ran back in that day? The ladies, first of all. <sighs> you're not going to believe it. We talked to an angel. You ever been out of breath and tried to talk? <laughs> Doesn't work. How do you think Peter came back in? <sighs> talk to Jesus. Now then the people that just ran seven miles uphill burst into the room. <sighs> we know it's him. 
And don't you know they took turns? Because if you've ever been out of breath, but you at least had someone there to help you finish the story, tagging out to try to get oxygen, right? And in that moment, they're breathless. And right in the middle of telling the story, he broke the bread. We knew it was him. And there he is. (laughs) That's the guy we just saw. When you really meet Jesus, you're breathless. If you don't know Jesus, if you've never met Jesus, but maybe you're like, you know, I'm, I'm the skeptic. I'm the one that's got a lot of questions. Good, because Jesus loves them. He pulls them in. He says, ask me any question you want. I'll spend as much time with you as you want. I will not reject you for asking questions. I will lead you through like what I did these people 2,000 years ago concerning me and the prophets. And can you imagine when he went to Isaiah 53 and said, hey, guys, you remember this? That was me. You know he took him to Psalm 22. Verse 1, you know he took him to verse 8 and verses 15 through 17 where it talks about how Jesus died on the cross and what was going to happen. He would have taken him through every single one. And for the skeptic in this room, he will do the same thing with you. He loves to. This morning we're going to take communion together. And what I hope you will take from it is, is this, the same living story that these people witnessed that just a few days before all of these events that we talked about this morning, guess what he did again? Gathered him around the table and said, this is my body that'll be broken for you. And they're like, what? We're about to take over. (laughs) What are you talking about? Hey, Hey, guys, you need to know This will be my blood spilled out. No, 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 no. And he gathered him around a table once again. And guess what we're doing these 2,000 basically and 18 years later again. He's gathering us around the table and saying, this is my body broken for you. This This is my blood spilled out for you. But the marvelous news of the gospel is he didn't stay there. He rose again for every skeptic every doubter, and eventually those who would believe. If you're a doubter, if you're a skeptic, maybe this morning you want to put your faith in Jesus, and I would encourage you to do so, and to place your faith and trust in him. But if you're one who's like, no, man, I've still got a lot of questions, that is great. Have at it with Jesus. If you want to ever talk to Kevin, he's a wonderful pastor. You should get to know him if you don't know him. If you want to talk to me, that's fine as well. But we don't want to just leave you in a place where you don't find some answers. But seek those things out. But this morning, let's gather back around the communion table. And let's remember what it cost Jesus so that we could live forever with him and have a relationship with him on this earth. Let's pray.